Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Welcome. Today, the talk is of plastic pollution and its effects on marine life, animals in and above the ocean. My guest is Dan Willis, who's our Ocean River Institute summer intern, and Dan's here with me in the office. We're in different rooms, though, so we won't trip over each other. And um, Dan's been researching this whole travesty of uh, plastic pollution. Hello, Dan. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going good. I get to stand by the noisy computer here, so <laughs> weird. But, you know, start off, I guess, do an interview from the closet here. Uh, so people are alarmed with the amount of plastic polluting our waterways, coastal waters, and oceans. Communities are taking action by banning single-use plastic bags. Restaurants are removing plastic straws and offering alternatives. Individuals have taken to carrying washable straws and reusable iced coffee cups, as well as reusable grocery bags. Uh, To give more reasons, lend more urgency to why a consumer society should not throw away plastics, Let's talk about how plastic pollution is harming wildlife. The problem is extensive and ubiquitous. Plastic ingestion has been documented in 233 marine species of animals. Uh, Dan, one of the biggest ones out there uh, that's flying about is the albatross. Tell us about uh, how the albatross is coping with plastic in the ocean. Well, they're not coping particularly well, to be honest. Um, it's pretty sad. Um, so the albatross are particularly susceptible to plastic pollution uh, because of how they feed. So unlike some birds, which will dive underwater, the albatross will use its massive wingspan to glide above the surface of the water, and then they'll skim the water with their beaks. Um, and then as they're doing this, they're traveling at really high speed, so they can't really avoid the plastic. Anything that gets in their way is going to inevitably end up in their beaks and then into their stomachs. Um, The plastic can fill up the stomach, but since they can't really digest it, it just takes up space. The albatross will just feel really full, and then they won't want to hunt for more food, or even if they do, they can't fit it down into their stomach and they can't digest it. So even though their their insides are stuffed full of plastic, they end up dying of starvation. Um, what's worse, though, is that they'll find all these little bits of plastic and they won't eat it, but they'll bring it back to their nests on land and feed it to their chicks um, because, you know, they have to provide all the food for their chicks. And a study found that of of all the uh, chicks they sampled in the colony, 98% of them, 98% of the chicks, that is, had plastic in their systems. So Yikes. Yeah, it's... It's not good. And, I mean, no animal wants to be eating any plastic. But, like, an adult albatross can at least be somewhat resistant to a little bit of plastic. But, unfortunately, a chick, they're too small. They can't handle any plastic in their system whatsoever. So it's absolutely devastating for these colonies that are near these plastic dump zones. That's terrible. They're they're finding that... It's not just plastic, but there are also pollutants and toxins that can bind to the plastic surfaces. That's part of the package that the albatross is giving to its chicks. So this is uh, 
really bad news for albatrosses. Um, what are some other, oh, the other, another seabird is the parakeet auklid. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So the parakeet auklid isn't often talked about because it's a relatively small species of bird. Um, it certainly doesn't have the same kind of name recognition that the albatross does. But unfortunately no. for the parakeet auklid, um, it's been scientifically proven that they have the highest natural predisposition to consuming the plastic that floats uh, in their waters. Um, when scientists have sampled their colonies uh, in Alaska, the parakeet auklet was found to have consumed the most plastic relative to their colony size of all seabirds. Um, so to give you a quick idea of what an auklet looks like, because it's not really a household name, they're about 10 inches long. They're kind of chunky, puffy-looking birds. They, they're related to the puffin, so they look a little similar to the puffin. Um, and they actually get their name of parakeet auklet from their rounded, bright orange beaks, um, which looks similar to a parakeet, which makes sense. But back to the topic at hand, why are they eating so much plastic? It's all due to their hunting instincts. So the auklets feed mainly on plankton, and in order to find the plankton swimming in the water, they rely on their eyesight, and as such, they've evolved to be really, really sensitive to bright colors in the water. But unfortunately, a lot of plastics tend to come in bright colors so they're more likely to pick the plastic out, thinking it's their natural prey. And then it's the same story as the albatross. The plastic will fill up their stomachs. If the plastic is sharp enough, it can even puncture their organs, and that's just an awful way to go. They, br they bring it back to the chicks as well. It's just an absolute catastrophe. But the parakeet auklet is uh, it's definitely it should be a name talked a lot about when we're talking about ocean plastic just because it shows how animal instincts can also be a factor in how plastic pollution affects these populations. Yeah, and auklids are amazing birds. There's six species up in Alaska. And as you said, you know, the um, parakeet auklid is about 10 inches and a puffin is 12 inches. So it's just a little smaller than a puffin. And uh, there's also the Cason's uh, auklid, which is a very drab, a little smaller auklid. And there's the least auklid, which is also much smaller. But the other four are about the same size, and they all have these bright red bills. This is like the peacock family of puffin relatives um, because they're so showy in their displays. The um, parakeet auklid has this bright bill, and then the crested auklet takes it a step further and has these feathers sticking vertically up out of its head, top of its head, um, to draw further attention to itself. And then there's the whiskered auklet, which has these white feathers that look like whiskers that instead of spreading over the bill, point backwards and spread above and below the eye of the whiskered auklet. Um, which, yeah, and they also have the, the crest of the crested auklet, but you tell them by their whiskers. And then there is more, even more bizarrely, the rhinoceros auklet. Yes, this bird has on its orange bill, has a bright yellow little horn, um, right where the, the bill joins the, the feathers of the um, head of the auklet. Uh, so these birds are attuned to looking for bright orange. This is, this is their kind of sexual display color. And so lo and behold, 
you know, we've got brightly colored plastics and they're getting nicked by, they're getting ingested by the, the auklets. Uh, and it was interesting how that, you know, the, the auklets eat, um, eat plankton. So in plankton, it's just animals that drift in the sea. So plankton and plastic bits behave the same way, unlike the Atlantic puffin that eats fish. And so you'll see the puffin diving for gray fish and lining them up in his bill and bringing them to the, to the young. Uh, and so they are predisposed to look for dull gray stuff as opposed to these auklids with the, um, the bright bills. So who knew that uh, the color of your bill could not be good for um, your foraging behavior? Just interesting, interesting bird. Um, uh, so I'm talking with Dan Willis about plastic pollution. And Dan, um, let's move away from the birds onto um, uh, turtles. Absolutely. So as a lot of people are beginning to realize, uh, turtles are another one of our most favorite species that are suffering from plastic pollution. There's videos being shared all over the place. It's kind of similar to how the panda bear became the symbol for endangered animals um, a few years ago. Now the sea turtle is becoming the symbol of plastic pollution in the water. There's these horrible, heart-wrenching videos of sea turtles having plastic straws being pulled out of their noses by rescuers. Um, But it's not plastic straws that are the biggest threat to sea turtles. It's actually plastic bags. Because when you have a plastic bag uh, suspended in the ocean currents, next to a jellyfish, the two are almost indistinguishable. And unfortunately, the jellyfish is the primary uh, prey for sea turtles. So as they're swimming along, they really can't tell the difference. And just as the uh, parakeet auklet is attracted to these brightly colored pieces of plastic, sea turtles are attracted to these plastic bags thinking that they're going to be a delicious jellyfish. And what makes it uh, doubly awful for the sea turtles is that the shape of the throat um, it all kind of points inwards. They have these villi-looking, almost spikes pointing down their throat, and it keeps it so that they can't regurgitate these plastic bags. So once it's in their system, there's, it's not coming out. So they'll be full to the brim with plastic bags. They'll be starving. They'll be suffocating on them. It's absolutely awful. Um, and, I mean, you take sea turtles, which are already, many species are already endangered, and then you add this massive influx of plastic bags into the mix, and it's just going to spell calamity for them in the near future unless drastic action is taken. Yeah, and who would know? Because turtles are off in the ocean, and we just don't know they're, you know, that they're, we don't see them, so we don't know what's going on. They thought for a long time there were no turtles, sea turtles in Nantucket Sound until they um, started looking for uh, looking for the wildlife impacts of putting windmills in the middle of the sound. And they went down and surveyed in the winter, and lo and behold, the turtles are there in the winter, but the scientists are only there in the summer, so the scientists reported no turtles there. But so much of this ocean wildlife, we don't know about it, and it can be suffering, and uh, we don't know. So good research on bringing us our attention to the turtles. Um, I, I, um, I'm going to talk a little bit. Of, let's move over to whales. And... Um, Minke whales are 25-foot whale. They're like the smallest baleen whale. And in April 2002, a dead minke whale washed up on the Normandy coast of France. And that whale's stomach contained loads of plastic bags and packaging, including two supermarket bags 
from Britain across the English Channel. So here again, we have these animals that are just roaming the ocean, and they're getting filled up with our trash, our plastic trash that we, you know, let pollute the ocean. And minkies are having a tough time this summer. About a week ago, a minke whale was found dead in the water of Old Orchard Beach in Maine with the marks with marks near its tail. That part of the whale's tail is called the small, right before the tail. And the bites were by a great white shark. So a great white shark, uh, we, don't, we don't know if it killed it, if that's the reason why it's dead, but there it was, floating dead with um, um, shark bites out of it. And there's some good news for minke whales, but it's for the wrong reason. And that is this summer, Iceland stopped hunting minke whales. And this leaves only Japan killing whales for what the quote they say is for scientific reasons. Uh, Iceland stopped whaling because there were too few minke whales to make it profitable. So there's no charitable compassion there. Uh, Dan, tell us about another whale, like the gray whale. Yeah, so in 2010, a California gray whale washed up dead on the shores of Puget Sound. Um, they performed an autopsy, and it showed that their stomach contained all sorts of different kind of plastics and other general marine pollution, including a pair of pants, uh, golf balls, more than <laughs> 20 plastic bags, small towels. There was duct tape, uh, even surgical gloves. Um, so the gray whale, like the minke, is a filter feeder. They use baleen, and when you get plastic that's large enough, they simply can't filter it out, and it winds up in their stomach. And, again, it's just a, it's just a double whammy. You already have these species that have been endangered due to whaling, uh, boating, fishing, all these things, and then you start adding all this uh, marine debris, and it just makes the situation so, so much worse. Yeah, those gray whales are are special. I mean, we thought there might have been gray whales um, in the Atlantic, and they went extinct. And now, as you said, they live over in the Pacific. And, and the gray whale is unusual that it dives to the bottom and rolls on its side to scour the bottom of the ocean. And so it has these scratch marks all up and down the side of the face and stuff. So apparently it was scooping up all kinds of trash. Um, tell us the list again of what they found in that whale. So there was a pair of pants, golf balls, <laughs> uh, 20, over 20 plastic bags, towels, duct tape, and surgical gloves. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh. And the whale was found dead, so something had, had caused it to expire. And if not the plastic, at least the, the plastic further stressed the animal so that it uh, couldn't survive. Um, you know, fish must have a problem like that, but we see so little of them. Um, but I, you were telling me about manta rays. Yeah, I actually, I saw this video. It was, I think it was published by just some ordinary tourist, and then it was picked up by National Geographic, and they put it on YouTube. And it was a video of manta rays uh, feeding, and I think it was off the coast of Indonesia. And, you know, at least for me, when I started found out about uh, plastic pollution in the ocean, I heard about the Great Pacific Plastic uh, patch, like, you know, it's the size of Texas. Um, but in my mind, it was all floating plastic. It didn't really occur to me that it would percolate down into all levels of the ocean. And in the video, you can see that's not the case. There's plastic from seabed to the surface of the waters all over the place. And these manta rays are swimming around, their mouths wide open, because that's how they feed. They're filter feeders, just like 
the whales, the turtles, the, the seabirds, and I mean, you know, they 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 simply aren't aware of what the plastic is. You, you can see pieces of plastic bags, other all sorts of waste just winding up going into their mouths, and there's simply nothing you can do about it. You know, short of getting rid of all the plastic in the water, which is a monumental task. Um, it's a really it's a really heartbreaking video. I think we're gonna wind up posting it on the blog at some point, right, Rob? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can post it up on our Facebook page, Ocean River Institute. Um, um, yeah, Dan will post that. We'll post that soon. Um, yeah, that's... But that you bring up an interesting point, was that the manta rays were swimming in Indonesian waters, and um, the biggest gar- plastic pollution patches are in the middle of Pacific and the middle of Atlantic, but more marine life is injured and harmed by um, the most marine life being injured and harmed by plastic in the ocean are in the Indonesian Sea and in the China Sea because these are areas that have a lot of plastic pollution but a lot of nutrients in the water. So there's much, much more marine life in those waters. So if we had the capability to clean it up, it would be better for the marine life if we went first to those two high biodiverse uh, rich areas of the ocean even though the volume is enormous in the uh, in Texas and uh, not in Texas, size of Texas out there and the Pacific and the Atlantic. Um, so, let's see, what can people do to reduce plastic pollution? And you know, obviously, it starts with us. And so we just have to. And this is a, a whole message of all of these programs and the work of the Ocean River Institute is. You just don't pollute, you know? It's just, this isn't what's the number one problem. It's like, don't put excess carbon into the air. Don't, you know, put plastic. Don't put toxins and so forth, cigarette butts, et cetera. We must not, you know, pollute. We got to reduce it. And then, um, but if you go to the beach, um, you know, pick up after yourself and then consider picking up after others at the beach, um, you know, because that will, that makes a difference. And, you know, I just I have to say it that, you know, pick up after yourself. Some people don't think of that. Um, and then you can join a beach cleanup. There's wonderful programs. Or if you're just on the beach and you see plastic lying on the shore, move it further away from the ocean uh, because it's inevitably going to get washed back into the sea and, uh, and start going adrift for hundreds of years out there. And, yeah, and the other problem is that... Uh, yeah, so I'm, we're going to take a short break, and we'll come back uh, and talk some more about plastic pollution. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforocean.com. That is www.donate the number four oceans.org. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hey, welcome back. I'm talking with ORI summer intern Dan Willis. Hi, Dan. How's it going, Rob? It's going great. Uh, so we were talking about, oh, if you want to hear more about, we're calling from the Ocean River Institute, and uh, our, if you want more information, you can visit our website at www.oceanriver.org, and you can email us um, at you can email me at rob at oceanriver.org and um, let us know what you think. Uh, we're talking about what about this plastic pollution problem. And, you know, you know the solution. is we just got to pick up and we've got to recycle. We have to reuse and just say no to plastic consumption by bringing your own bag, and a drink container and a straw and whatever those consumables are that are ending up in the trash can um, and the recycling bin, you know, try to cut down on them. I mean, we know this stuff isn't going to the landfills the way it should uh, because for decades we've had the knowledge to cut up those six-pack holders uh, so that cormorants and seabirds won't get strangled by the, uh, the plastic webbing of those beer holders and stuff. Uh, so we really need to just be vigilant and I tell people if they don't know how to help save the environment, they should ask a kid because they're closer to the ground and they tend to be more tuned to what's going on in your neighborhood and simple things to do to um, uh, check, uh, you know, pollutants going into the environment. Uh, and here in Massachusetts, we're working on a passage of a Massachusetts plastic bag bill. And some communities have passed their own bill. 
but this would be statewide and it would make it consistent throughout the state. Uh, it is, you know, requiring people, uh, stores can only have paper bags to distribute and uh, people are encouraged to bring their own bags. Uh, a setback, but in order to make it work, uh, there isn't, this bill doesn't have a, a charge. If you don't bring your own bag, you're not given a charge to, to get the bag from the store. Uh, and this will undo what town, towns that have already done that. So those towns that want to have a charge will have to pass, repass another law to uh, supersede this, this state law. Uh, it's, it's a kind of a setback because in the, in the United Kingdom, when they passed a um, deposit on or a price on picking up a bag, uh, the beaches saw a 40% reduction in carry bags, um, disposing the beach and stuff. So um, having a charge does make a difference, but at least not distributing paper bags, uh, not distributing plastic bags um, will, will have the same effect. And the business owners did not want to charge their customers for the convenience of having a bag. So this way they have a paper just, uh, recyclable, decomposable bag to do instead. Um, unfortunately, uh, as the bill was, the bill's gone through the Senate and it, as it was going through the house, uh, they realized that the bag industry has come up with a plastic bag that can be reused 125 times. And that makes it qualify as a reusable bag. And so grocery stores can start packing the groceries in that, which would, which would be even worse off because then we'd have heavier plastic going into the ocean uh, to break down and so forth. So the, the law is being amended to uh, prohibit that from happening uh, and letting the, um, the, the industries distribute, the grocery stores and so forth, distribute uh, paper bags. So it's always something. We've got to keep on our toes here. Uh, and the flip side that we haven't really talked about is um, – that, that these plastics are breaking down and then we have microplastics going into the ocean as well uh, from fibers, uh, polyester clothing, from um, cosmetics. Um, I was um, getting my teeth clean. The hygienist pulled out of my gum one of those plastic beads and it was because when traveling, I used a cheap little toothpaste tube that had, um, had put in those little plastic beads to help scrub my teeth and gums and stuff. So it's, it's all over the place, and we just have got to work at not putting that into the environment, um, having proper screening or minimizing the, the laundry loads of uh, polyester and polar fleece and those kinds of things, because they go right through the screening and into the environment. They go out the, out the air vents and then settle, or they go down the drain and uh, so forth. So we, we need to do lots, but um, let's go back to... Um, talk about our, Mass, our Massachusetts plastic bill, bag bill. And, and Dan, this was kind of an initial thing that you jumped into when you came to work for the Ocean River Institute. So tell us a bit about how the Ocean River Institute operates and how we are tackling this to pass a ban the plastic bag bill. Yeah, so the whole focus of the Ocean River Institute is not to act like some massive nonprofit trying to make these huge sweeping tra- changes all at once. Instead, we try to focus on reaching out to individuals to encourage individual action. Um, we 
will correspond one-on-one with people uh, that subscribe to the website, that make donations, who try to listen to the interests that are at the heart of what people actually really care about. Um, we, we have a, we'll post things on a blog, we'll post articles on the blog, things like that to try to raise awareness. And then we encourage people to leave comments about what the situation is like in their own hometowns in Massachusetts or really all across the country. We get responses from, I think, every single state in the country and as well as a bunch of different places in Europe. Um, and it's just, we try to tailor all of our actions to make sure that they reflect what the people that subscribe to the Ocean River Institute really believe and want. Um, we aren't, you know, we aren't a very self-interested group. We try, we try to act in the interest of the people that subscribe and support us. Um, and yeah, yeah, so we'll... That's right. That's right. We, we do that. We, we really, instead of thinking globally and acting locally, uh, when people can be locally stupid, uh, we listen locally, as you said, and, uh, and then gather their voices uh, to... Um, to bring to decision makers. So we bring a cacophony of different voices and, you know, we'll send out an e-alert um, with a petition on it. And yeah, people can sign the petition, but what we really want is for them to sign, to write a personal comment. And so we put out this petition letter for um, banning the plastic bags in Massachusetts. And, and you're right. Thousands of, uh, of uh, people wrote back, and uh, the, the, and every state, the key is we look for South Dakota and Wyoming. Those are the last two that usually come in. Uh, but, yes, we got some from them. Sometimes we get Puerto Rico, U.S. Virgin Islands, always Washington, D.C. So that's 53 states and territories. Um, and so, so there, there you and Dorothy were, and I just handed you guys this spreadsheet with a few names on it. And what happened then? So we... Uh, we drafted up emails for, well, we made, we, <laughs> there was a whole lot of organization and dividing and conquering and then dividing again all the names that we got because it was an absolutely massive spreadsheet. And so the first thing we did was separate it into people that had left a comment on the posting and those who didn't. So those who did leave a, a comment, we uh, divided them up by state and if they got even more specific, like their city, we would re- like, reach out to the individuals in cities. Obviously, we'd thank them for voicing their opinions because like, the, the voices of individuals is what gives us so much strength in the long run. Um, you know, so we thank them for leaving a comment. We, uh, if there was a particularly insightful comment, we'd try to you know, engage in a bit of dialogue with them to see if they had any other thoughts because... Sometimes these people would leave these absolutely brilliant ideas on the blog that none of us here at the ORI had even thought about or even like we hadn't looked at the situation the way they had. Um, and so we'd try to start a dialogue about that because some of them were downright inspiring. And again, I guess that's an instance of why it's so important to reach out and listen to what individuals have to say because it's such a, you can get so many diverse opinions, especially when you're getting responses from all over the country. Um, and then we also, we encourage them to share the postings that we put on Facebook, um, the e-alerts that we send out to people's emails, the blog itself, the Ocean River Institute website. Um, we encourage them to share it with their friends. 
uh, to encourage others to leave comments because the comments are one of the most powerful things that we can provide to the legislator making the rules and laws and regulations. Um, and then for the group of people that didn't leave comments but um, had signed the petition that we put out, uh, we, would, we separated them all by states. And we sent out these big block emails to each state encouraging the people to leave a comment um, for like some New England states, for instance, we would try to emphasize why these particular petitions, uh, like the Massachusetts uh, bag ban, is so important because it's local. Um, and yeah, and so when we sent out all those emails encouraging all these people that had silently signed on but left no comment, I don't. I think maybe about a third to about a half of the people that we reached out to, and that we're talking hundreds and hundreds of people that we reached out to, about a third to a half of them came back and actually left a comment. And again, we got so many good ideas and opinions and strong voices that you could tell really cared about their community to come back out of the woodwork, but they simply hadn't because they didn't really feel that their voice was that important when you're signing an online petition. Um, but even after we had submitted this petition, you know, we printed everything out, we had organized it, we made it clear and readable, um, we got it in one big envelope. We shipped it off to the state house, and then we heard back from them, uh, and they were asking more about these comments, which goes to show that they're really reading them, that they actually really matter to the legislatures because they want to know what their constituents are thinking and saying. Um, yeah, because they wanted us to clarify about where these voices were coming from because it's so, so, so important when they're deciding what kind of laws to make because it's really easy in this day and age to feel like your voice doesn't matter. It's easy to feel like you're getting drowned out, but that's why the ORI is here to collect the voices in a way and shoot it in the direction of the people that are really listening. So yeah, that was, yes, exactly. <laughs> that's what me and Dorothy were doing exactly. for a while. And it was actually, uh, it was really, really fun and enlightening. Yeah. And the decision makers, they rarely hear from their constituents except for big, big items like war, peace and healthcare or something. And, um, so to hear from a constituent is, is very interesting, and that's who they serve. So uh, it's better than asking your legislator, do you believe in climate change? It's better to say, I, I want you to pass this bill on banning plastic bags, you know, specifics. And the legislator can make a decision, please this constituent or not. But often they don't hear from any constituents, uh, and so they're left listening to the lobbyists that are there, and that's not good. So this is... And, of course, if you sound like someone's mother or you sound like the local vernacular, it's going to carry more weight than a letter from, um, you know, they get these letters and the decision maker, it's, he doesn't care whether it's from one person or 160 scientists. It's still one letter, one thought. Uh, but to phrase it in different ways really helps uh, legislators navigate through to the strongest, most robust bills. And it's all personable, but... You know, Dan and Dorothy worked hard to make sure that nobody was swearing at the uh, legislator or they weren't <laughs> slipping in, you know, the wrong kind of talk. <laughs> um, because you get all types who will try to take advantage of giving them a soapbox and stuff. And that's just not productive because you get some of those and uh, it just turns everybody off. Uh, so thank you, Dan. That was um, really good work. We got, you know, a lot out and... Um, and what happens is the legislator, uh, even though this is a state legislator, this was the Speaker of the House, uh, to bring the bill to vote, 
um, he is concerned about his national reputation. And when people, you know, when hundreds of people are writing from California saying, Mr. DeLeo, please, you know, pass this bill because I like going in the summertime to Cape Cod or whatever, um, that, that they, they notice that. And uh, it isn't just a bunch of signatures. Also, um, we're a very cosmopolitan nation. We move around. So you have people who grew up in Massachusetts living in all the states, and you have people who went to school here or people who vacation here so, or people who, who haven't been here yet, but they want to come. And when they come, they want the beach to be as clean as it is in the photographs. Uh, and so they hold our legislators responsible for maintaining the environment in a clean, healthy environment. And so um, it's a great way to do it. Uh, but, you know, so right now on our homepage at www.oceanriver.org, uh, you'll see six photographs, and those are six different campaigns of different aspects of cleaning the waters and cleaning the environment, uh, protecting wildlife. Uh, and you can click on any one of those, uh, whichever one interests you the most, and uh, it usually leads to a petition uh, to sign so we can get your feedback. Or we have some campaigns uh, to clean the water. Uh, and this is what we did with the, um, the mass plastic bag bill was, Dan, you and Dorothy, remember you called through the, um, the found us the top 12 comments, and we posted those on a blog, on our blog page. And then we ended up posting more and more, and other people could read the blog. We then we sent the blog page out on our e-alert, and people were inspired to to respond to the blog, and it helped the letter writers to read what others were writing or had written. Uh, so there's lots of tools at www.oceanriver.org, and when you go to our homepage on the upper right hand corner, you can click on subscribe, and we'll ask just for your email address, and then we'll send you e-alerts when we have something happening, a petition to sign or a news to announce. We, we send it out um, maybe two, two, three times a month. Um, but we, we don't just do it by clockwork. We do it when there's something to say. And uh, it's a good way to stay connected of what's going on, what the opportunities are. And you might choose to be part of this bill, but not that one. It's okay. We've got different user groups um, involved with it. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with Dan Willis. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. 
On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking about plastic pollution in the ocean. And in Massachusetts, we were working on a bill to reduce single-use plastic bags. And it had passed the House, and it had passed the Senate, and it was going into the House for a vote. And meanwhile, Governor Baker was reluctant about passing this bill. He had unsubstantiated claims that grocery bills would go up and mom and pop stores would suffer. Like he didn't realize that the people were offered paper bags at no charge if they didn't bring a recycling bag. So we put out the word that, you know, Governor Baker is opposed to a plastic bag, bag ban bill and that um, this is not good for the oceans or good for the environment. And people wrote from all over uh, telling the governor why you know, we need this kind of protection. Um, and Dan, what, what are some of the things people are saying? So we have a whole uh, list of a bunch of really good comments that people left. So um, Patricia B. from Gloucester, Massachusetts, uh, had this to say. She said, plastics befoul our landscapes. The small beach near me in Gloucester is beautiful, but plastics wash up every day. I pick up what I can, but more importantly, we need to support life in our oceans, not kill it with ingested plastics. The convenience of plastic for a moment's use cannot be allowed to continue when it impacts the health of our planet and all that dwells therein. And that was from Patricia B. of Gloucester, MA. It's a really nicely worded and powerful comment. Um, let's see. Uh, Julianne R. from Lexington said, a compromised ecosystem is a compromised economic system. What minor setbacks businesses experience pales next to the major benefits needed to stop toxic damage from the abundance of single-use plastics. Support this bill, please. Obviously, that's in reference to businesses being hesitant about ditching single-use plastic bags, even though they're very affordable. 
uh, Robin C. from Plain City, Ohio, just another example of people from all over the country commenting. She said, I have tried to decrease my plastic use, and I no longer even use straws when I eat at restaurants. The horrible photos of sea life with straws in their noses or plastic embedded in their shells have made me want to help clean up our environment and oceans, and plastic is a huge contributor to the pollution that harms wildlife. Please reduce plastic pollution. Uh, let's see. I have one here from Newton, Massachusetts. Uh, Peter writes, this is a fair and reasonable bill. As a member of the Newton Needham Regional Chamber, I don't want to impose a burden on small businesses. This bill is designed to keep small businesses from being hurt. We need to protect our ocean marine life from being damaged and from polluting our drinking water. This bill will help. Please sign it. Thank you. And another one from Natick, Mass. He's a local in Massachusetts here. Sybil S. writes, we must make every effort to reduce plastic waste, which takes hundreds of years to biodegrade and poisoning our waterways and oceans. The time to act is now. If Trader Joe's can put out biodegradable plastic bags at their stores, every other store can do the same. Stop plastic waste. Uh, I have one here from Lacey C. from Houston, Texas. We never knew when plastics became the thing to get into how it would all pan out. We are now seeing the devastating and fatal consequences of our frivolous use of the stuff. It's in everything. So please be part of the solution to begin removing it from as many places as possible so that there can be a chance to heal our environment. We may never be pristine again, but we can sure put our efforts toward cleaning up the madness. Thank you. That's Lacey C. Being harsh but true and nice and optimistic. I love it. Colleen from Londonderry, New Hampshire, writes, While plastic makes things quick, easy, and convenient, we need to look past immediate gratification toward long-term, long-range goals. It is going to take much more than a small group of environmentally concerned people to prevent major crises. Banning plastics will help to prevent contaminated drinking water, loss of wildlife, and a reduction in trash that litters our cities. Uh, I have one from Benita C. from Burgettstown, Pennsylvania. I very much miss the days when governments encouraged civic duty, like the Keep America Beautiful campaign begun by Lady Bird. It made me feel proud and part of America. Instituting this law equals Massachusetts strong. We need to see our strengths in more intrinsic ways other than fighting terrorism or attracting business. This is an opportunity for Massachusetts to encourage civic pride and unity with fellow state citizens to play an important part in making your commonwealth both beautiful and healthy. Then maybe backwater states like mine will follow your lead. So, I mean, yeah, it's great. You have all these people commenting from around the country. She was from Pennsylvania again. And I mean, you know, it goes to show that people all across the country can be so passionate about even can seem like a small thing in the grand scheme of things, like a single-use plastic bag by Enville in Massachusetts. Right. And Amanda Sue up in Olympia, Washington, writes, these bags are an environmental and aesthetic disaster, and they are so unnecessary. I've been using my own cloth bags for decades now. It's easy and practical, and you never have to look at them hanging in rags from trees, 
are floating in our waters where they can and do harm wildlife. This is from Stella Kay of Shoreline, Washington. I live in a suburb of Seattle. My city and many others in the area have already outlawed plastic bags. From the shopper standpoint, it is quite an easy transition. Stores can offer cheapy 99-cent reusable bags. Our stores sell their cheap cloth-like bags made from recycled plastic bags and also sell nicer, thick, reusable vinyl bags with attractive colors and designs. It doesn't take long for each shopper to build a little collection of these reusable bags and just takes a little longer for a person to get in the habit of actually bringing them to the store. There were a few times at first when I forgot bags at home or they made it into my car but I forgot to bring them into the store. I am now fully trained, and about 99% of the time, I remember to bring my collection of reusable bags into the grocery store when I do my shopping. Totally worth the trouble to know the impact my city is making with this one little change. And let's not kid ourselves, this is a teeny, tiny change in the scheme of things. But if we humans are going to have any hope of saving our planet from our destructive ways, we need to start with this change. And then start quickly stacking other planet-saving changes on top of it. Do the right thing. Ban plastic bags. Considered a first step for your state. I always like that sentiment. It takes, what is, it, what is it, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And the same goes for saving the planet, right? Hey. I have two here from uh, recreators who come to Massachusetts. One is from Joyce S. of Sun City, Arizona. I went to Mount Ida College and liked to vacation out your way and have recently noticed a horrible increase in plastic pollution. And it needs to stop. This is a great first step, but please work on even more measures to protect your precious state. And then Kathleen O. out in Annapolis, Indiana, writes, All coastal areas are experiencing a surge in plastic pollution. This has impact on the health of all marine organisms and potentially humans as well, as Massachusetts also benefits from coastal travel revenues. It's also important to not have a shredded, not have shredded plastic floating on the shorelines of travel destinations. Let's see. Um, I got one last one that I really like. This is from Phyllis V of Vero Beach, Florida. If our planet is only as healthy as our oceans, we are in trouble. Studies have shown that at its current rate, plastics will outnumber fish by 2050. Something as simple as eliminating single-use plastic can sure help, as well as encouraging biodegradable plastic use. I've been taking my own shopping bags to stores for several years, and it presents no problem for me. In fact, it makes me feel good knowing that I am doing what I can for our oceans every time I use it. Since the ocean is so important to the fishing and tourist industries, I urge you to support this bill. That's a good one. Um, Autumn B. from Bowdoin, Maine, uh, writes... Many customers have purchased eco-friendly grocery bags from businesses that provide them. My state of Maine has championed this plastic pollution very effectively. Decreasing plastic bags and offering paper bags or charging five cents for each plastic bag and for charging five cents for each plastic bag and uninformed customer may inadvertently choose. Please support this common sense ballot. We must prevent and heal what these plastics have injured for the sake of our children and our planet. Thank you for your consideration. Can you find us one last one or? 
Absolutely. I, I was hoping I could just talk a little bit about my personal experience. That's even better. Yeah. Um, so I forget when exactly it was, but it's been at least five or six years ago. Um, my mom started getting all these reusable bags from Market Basket and um, Whole Foods and where else? Oh, I don't know where else, but oh, and Trader Joe's, of course. And, you know, at first I always thought it was a little bit of a pain because I always would forget to put them in the car for and all that stuff. But, um, you know, eventually it becomes a force of habit. And not only do you feel good because you're helping the planet, I mean, in a lot of ways it makes more sense to use these reusable bags. We have one, we, it's called like the, the cooler bag, and it's insulated. It has a nice big zipper on top so you don't have to worry about things falling out. And, I mean, you know, when you're buying groceries, you know, you, get, you, you end up getting like ice cream or something frozen, and then you're driving home, you get stuck in traffic, you start to panic about it melting in the back seat. But, I mean, if you have one of these cooler bags, you don't have to worry about it. You put all the refrigerated items in there to keep each other cold. Um, you don't have to worry, so you're not speeding home at breakneck speeds to avoid having melted ice cream when you get home. Um, and I guess that's just another small thing that I've been thinking about because, uh, you know, people, when they hear about having to use reusable bags, the first thought is, oh, what an inconvenience. But in a lot of ways, it's more convenient, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where if you just have to give it a chance, you'll instantly see that it's not hard at all. It's, it's helpful. And then you also don't have a million plastic bags floating around your house cluttering it up. You, you can just fold the reusable bags into a nice little pile by the door. That's where we keep all of ours. And you just bring them with, when you're going out shopping. You put them back there when you're done. You don't ever think about them. It's just second nature. So, you know, that's my two cents on the issue. Uh, and, and also, it's fun seeing what people choose for their bags. Some people, you know, have Save the Children, and some people have um, wildlife on their bags, and other people have um, all kinds of things. And, you know, I've got some charity ones that I think I like to march around with and stuff. So it's um, in this austerity of not being able to just consume lots of bags is uh, are some benefits. So we're better for it. And, um, and uh, if... You would like to add your words to why you would like to see a plastic bag ban bill to reduce plastic bag pollution. Um, please visit our website, oceanriver.org, and at the, on the board at the top there, it says blog. And if you click on blog, it will bring you to Speak Out for an Act Reducing Plastic Bag Pollution. And you can read the same ones that we've read today and others and then at the bottom, you can write your own. And you'll also see what lots of other people have written, too. So we welcome more voices. Uh, what we do is we add these to the letter. This bill did not go through. The session is over in Massachusetts now for the year. So um, next year, it'll be back on the books. And we'll have to pick up again where we left off and encourage uh I'm confident that the House will pass it, but I'm not confident about Governor um, Baker supporting it. So um, we need more comments. That would be great. Uh, Dan, I think we've pretty much used up our time for uh, Ocean River Institute talk and about plastic bag pollution and the wildlife. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know what they say, time flies when you're discussing environmental issues. And animals. It's fun talking animals. Um, and I'll, I'll keep a lookout for that parakeet oculid with the bright orange bill and, the, and not mistake it for the rhino oculid or the crested oculid or the whiskered oculid. Um, so 
Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Moyers Environmental Dialogues. Until next time, please take care of yourselves and then take a time to take a little care of this planet of ours. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyers Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.